on an ordinary day, just like this day, you might receive the greatest gift that you have ever known. And on an ordinary day, just like this day, you might fall into a valley that would rock your world. Several years ago, when we first started the JAR, uh, one of the things that I committed to was praying for all of my neighbors. And one of my neighbors, who lived a couple houses down from us, was Jeff Knatzer. Now, I had never met Jeff before, and so I thought I'd butter him up a little bit with uh, getting some Blockbuster popcorn, which Blockbuster doesn't even exist anymore, so you know how old that is. You can Google it if you're under 30. And I had some Blockbuster popcorn, and I had a video card, and I walked down to his house on this cold call, and I knocked on the door, and he opened up, and when he opened up the door, I said, here, here's a gift for you. And he said, why are you doing this? And I said, well, I just wanted to show God's love uh, in a practical way. And he goes, are you a preacher? And I said, well, actually, I, I am starting a, a church that's meeting in our house. And he goes, are you in a cult? <laughs> and I go, well, no, we're, we're not in a cult. And uh, he said, well, well, I've already been saved. And I remember telling him, I said, well, I'm not here to try to convert you or to save you. I'm actually just here to uh, try to be a good neighbor and maybe a good friend. And then he said these words. He goes, oh, okay. Well, you want to come in for a beer? And I walked in the house and I'm not going to tell you whether we had a beer or not, okay? Well, I kept reaching out to Jeff for uh, several, several years, and uh, eventually he and his family started attending the JAR, and he and I found that we had a uh, huge interest in sports, so we played basketball together, and we uh, played softball, and uh, we just had an awesome time. And he found out that the church needed some uh, different office supplies, and he uh, worked for a wholesale a place that did furniture, and he provided all this furniture, and just one of the most generous guys uh, that I know, and we, be, and we continue to be friends for years and years. And then around Thanksgiving, I got word that Jeff had actually come down with COVID, and that he was in the hospital, and so I went up to go and to visit my friend. Now, Jeff was one of the strongest guys that I knew. I mean, just uh, huge. We used to always laugh. Uh, he had the barbed wire around his arm, and he, he had a tattoo of it around his arm, and he did it with one arm. I said, Jeff, if that was me, we'd have to wrap it all the way around my body, you know, because I have tiny arms. And he's a real strong guy, and when I walked in, he was on this BiPAP mask, and it was very, very difficult for him to communicate at all. And I sat down with him, and uh, it was difficult and to listen to him, to hear from him. And so the more that we talked, he finally said, can you just pray for me? And, and I held his hand and we prayed together. And pretty soon he started to make a turn. He still had to go on event during this time, but 
everything was kind of moving up and to the right, and we all thought everything was fine, and the first of the year went, and things were going well, and we felt great about this. And then on an ordinary day, folks, just like this day, I got a call from his wife that said they were going to take him off of the vent and everything else. And she wondered if I would go up and visit him. And I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll be right there. And I remember walking into that room and there was his wife and his kids and his family. And my wife was there and some other medical people. And we walked in and we hugged each other and we started to cry. And then they did the process that is so cruel and so difficult when they took him off the vent and I sat there and I watched one of my good friends die in front of me. And when all of this was going on, I just kept thinking to myself, we had prayed, God, we had prayed, we had believed that physical healing was going to come, that he would have a testimony to share, and God, that did not happen. And a few days later, I officiated at my friend's funeral. And I'm telling you, folks, it is the biggest loss that I have experienced this year in my life, and I miss my buddy. And I just wonder for some of you here today, what loss have you experienced? What is the loss that you've experienced maybe recently? Maybe you've experienced the loss of a loved one, a family member. Maybe a mom, a dad, a grandparent, a a child. Maybe for others of you, your loss isn't necessarily the death of a loved one, but your loss is the loss of a relationship. There's a loss of a friendship. There's a loss of some workship. There is a loss of marriage. There's a loss of a job. Folks, the one thing that every single person in this auditorium and every single person on the stream right now has in common is this. We all experience loss. David, the guy that we've been looking at over these past three weeks, and he writes this amazing book uh, of the Bible, many of the Psalms, but in particular, the 23rd Psalm. And when he writes it, he writes it with the understanding of loss being present. And later on in his life, he lost his marriage. He lost three of his sons to death before he had died. He lost his integrity. He lost his dream. And in Psalm 23, in verse 4, he writes these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And as I've been studying this particular verse, the Hebrew word for shadow of death is the word salmavet. And what it means is this combination of extreme death and shadow so dark. It's not just any shadow, folks. It is the deepest, darkest shadow that you will ever experience. And some of you have been there. You know what that's like. And as David is expressing all of this, he's talking about himself taking these sheep into this valley. 
In Israel, it was full of rockiness, and then there would be terrain that would be desert, and then eventually there would be a valley that they're walking through. And in that valley, there was no water, there was no shade, only a shadow could even give you relief from the sun, and there was no shadow. It was only death. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I have nothing. When you walk through that death, you feel like you're by yourself, and we've all been there. You know, folks, from a biblical perspective, loss is not something that you recover from. You just recover over it. You get over it. You move on. You just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you do that. Loss is only something that can actually be redeemed. And that word redeemed actually means to be set right. And this is the good news that you have if you follow the good shepherd. He says that one day all things will be redeemed. Everything that was lost will be found and all will be made right. Everything will be made right. But until that day, what you and I have to find and what we live with in this world is that often we walk through valleys of the shadow of death. So for the rest of our time, what I simply want to do is to give to us four of the big valley questions surrounding loss that every single human being, every single person here, and every single person on the stream has asked before. And here's the first question. It's your first fill-in, and it's this. Why me? Why me? Why am I going through this? Am I being punished in some way? Why me? Now, sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves, but sometimes we don't. But sometimes we do. For example, how many of you have ever got a speeding ticket before? Raise your hand in the air and wave it like you just don't care. Okay, go ahead. Everybody got their hand? All right, all right. This is what I know. We have a fast church because many hands were up. And this is what I know for those of you on the stream. If you've done that before, just type in, I'm a speeder, okay? I am a speeder. You're not taking speed. You just got a speeding ticket, okay? So type that in. And uh, how many of you, um, when you got that speeding ticket, were you not speeding? You, you just would say, I was not speeding. Okay, good. You're not dealing with denial then today, right? Now, have you ever been speeding before and you didn't get a ticket? Let me see your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, we, we all do this. Sometimes we bring things on ourselves and we receive that. But sometimes, folks, what happens is we do absolutely nothing and Some loss comes into our life. Some hurt comes into our life. Some suffering comes into our life for no apparent reason whatsoever. And part of what wounds us so much, folks, is the fact that we have this illusion that we're in control. We have this illusion, you and I, that we are in control. I'm in control. If I could just figure it out. If I could be clever enough, smart enough, good enough, strong enough, 
then I could do it. If I could be accident-proof, loss-proof, suffering-proof. But then sometimes what happens, even when we do all of that, out of the blue, something comes into us and it brings disaster or it brings disease or it brings disappointment. And then the control is gone just like that. And then we realize that in this life, in this planet, that life is incredibly fragile. And the best of us, the smartest of us, the strongest of us cannot escape loss. So a guy in the Bible by the name of Isaiah, who was a prophet, a pastor of his day, he wrote these words. A voice says, cry out. Then I said, what shall I cry? Say, all people are like grass. Their days are like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. Like that. I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but you're driving by a field and maybe there's tons of grass or there is tons of flowers or you see trees and you look at it and you're like, man, those things are so firmly kind of planted in there they have roots i mean they are in control and then drought comes or a flood comes or frost comes and an entire thing can be wiped out and it's the same way with you and i folks maybe the question of why me is just one in which we could spend the rest of our time trying to figure out, and we can't answer the question, why me? But maybe the question isn't why me, but the question is, why not me? Why not me? In other words, how can I assume that I'm going to go through life and there'll be no hurt, there will be no suffering? Am I better than the baby that is born into a starving nation of the Congo in a family that can't put it together or some other country that is barely surviving? How can I assume that I am exempt from any sense of hurt or loss? And this kind of leads us to the next question. After we ask the question of why me, when we're going through the valley, we ask the question, how will I respond? How will I respond? How will I respond when deep loss comes to me and I'm in the valley? Well, first of all, let me share with you what the Bible does not say to do. What the Bible does not say to do is that you go through the valley of loss and you just pretend like everything's okay. That it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's fine. It doesn't hurt. There's no suffering. It's all good. Just pretend like it doesn't hurt. And some of us grew up in family systems in which we basically said that if you really want to be able to be seen as a person who's strong, you will not show emotion. You will just stuff it down. In fact, sometimes Christians will even be like, oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so I'll be a spiritual person and I'll just have no hurt or pain whatsoever. And I'll walk through life denying all of that. And we try to tell people, well, loss isn't that big a deal. I mean, there can be pressure for you and I not to grieve, not to hurt, not to show any emotions. And what happens in those moments is that many of us begin to play a game. When I was uh, growing up, our family was Poe. In other words, not P-O-O-R, just Poe, P-O. That was it. 
And uh, we didn't get to go on vacation like on a plane. If you were going on a vacation, you were in the car that had no air conditioning. And my parents would sit up in the front when we would go, usually just to the lakes in northern Indiana. They would sit up in the front, and my brother, my sister, and myself would sit in the back seat. And they would be in the front seat, and you can imagine the smells that would come out of the back seat, you know, um, because there's no air conditioning. There's no flow. It's just bad. And uh, we would sit in this back seat, and sometimes it could be a mile. We might make it to 10 miles, but eventually... Someone says, stop touching me. Mom, dad, they're touching me. And there'll be a fight that breaks out, you know, like WWF before it came with no seatbelts, you know, back in those days. And that all of this is transpiring in the back seat. And then my mom would always do this. She'd go, okay, settle down, kids. We're going to play a game now. And this is a wonderful game. This is a great game. You're going to love playing this. And my dad would be like, play the game. And then she'd go, we are going to play the quiet game. Have any of you ever played the quiet game before or had your kids do that? Sure. And basically, the quiet game is very, very easy. You just are quiet. It's a simple game for simple children, and we were very simple. And so the winner is the one who can stay the quietest for the longest. And I remember my mom would try to sell this to us and she'd be all happy and she's like, oh, this is such a wonderful game. This is such a great game. And she would do this so she could get some mileage while we were driving. What a stupid game. And I'll never forget, though, one trip we're playing the quiet game and all of a sudden I had this wonderful, liberating thought. I don't have to play this game. I could actually talk. I could actually say something. And I was not fearing that my mom was going to punish me. I wasn't even fearing that if she did punish me. Because nothing could be worse than playing the quiet game mile after mile after mile. And then this thought came to me. I don't have to do this anymore. And I was 45 years old. (laughs) Not really, not really. Folks, sometimes even in the church, what we try to do is we encourage people to play the quiet game. Just be quiet with your suffering. Be quiet with your hurt. Keep it on the down low. Keep it silent to yourself. And sometimes Christians will even say, hey, you know, you're more spiritual if you can walk through it with not sharing any of your hurt or your suffering. And the reality is, folks, is that God is a very big God. He can handle whatever it is that you are struggling with. Whatever you're hurt, whatever you're suffering, even if you're angry at God, God is like, I would rather you be real and be angry because God can handle it. He really can. He's a big God. He can handle those thoughts. Folks, the quiet game, the one place that it is not found in, it is not found in the Bible. God does not want you to walk through your life playing the quiet game. But my question for you today is, have some of you recently been playing the quiet game? There's some pain, some hurt, some loss in your life, and you're just trying to suppress it to keep it down. Have you not expressed that loss? Have you kind of passed over mourning 
and grieve. Maybe what you need to do is to find another person where you say, you know what, I'm stopping the quiet game today. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm feeling, what I'm going through. Or at the end of our celebration, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up here. They'll be up here in the front and up in the back. And those of you that are on the stream, you can ask one of the hosts. But they'll be here to actually pray with you, to encourage you. Maybe you just need someone to hear your loss and for someone to pray for you in the midst of that. I don't know what you need to do this morning, folks. But this is one thing I really want to encourage you. Stop playing the quiet game. Now, Maybe for some of you, your issue is not that you've experienced loss recently, but the reality is you know someone that has. They're going through some pain and some hurt right now, and you feel awkward around them and weird, and so you kind of like ignore what's going on, and you back away, and you try not to engage as much. But maybe today's the day that you actually make a commitment that I'm going to reach out to them, and I'm going to care for them. Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, is considered one of Jesus' closest friends. When it came to this whole concept of loss, this was his understanding. This is what he said. He simply said this, mourn with those who mourn. He said, when people are going through something, you just mourn with those who mourn. It's very interesting. He did not say, give them some advice. He didn't say, hey, be real spiritual and let them know that greater is he that is in you and throw some scripture out and put them together and like spiritually kind of get them out of that moment. Rather, he simply said, mourn with those who mourn. And maybe for some of you this week, that's the greatest thing you could do with your life is to be with someone and say, what's going on? It's been a while. Let me mourn with you. What, how can I be there for you? Well, here's the next question that often comes, and it's this question. How do I protect myself from the loss? How do I protect myself from the loss? During any loss, eventually, there's a part of us that says, I don't want to go through this kind of thing ever again. I do not want to experience this kind of pain. And what happens is that we choose to not trust people. I just won't give my heart to another person because if I don't give my heart to another person, then I can't be rejected. If I don't pour myself out into my kid's life, then I won't be disappointed. How can I protect myself from this loss? And the short answer is this, folks. You can't in this world. People sometimes think that if you're a Christian, that you kind of get a free pass on the suffering card. It doesn't work that way. Jesus taught that to love people means to suffer. He said these words, in this world, you will have trouble. Think about that. In this world, you will have trouble. Trouble yesterday, trouble today, trouble tomorrow. Guaranteed, the one thing that will happen to every single person here and on the stream, you're going to come into some trouble. So what is a person to do? Jesus said it easy. Choose love. Choose love. That I will take a risk and I will choose to be in relationship and I will love. And when you do that, folks, you know what will happen? You will be hurt. But it is better for you to go through the experience of trusting and loving and being hurt than to never trust again and then die. 
Because that's what happens. You may not have a physical death, but emotionally you die a little bit more each day when you choose not to trust. And what has happened is that for some people in this auditorium, some people on the stream, you have closed your heart off from other people. And you refuse to love or to trust. And if there is a way to death, that's the way, folks. You close off your heart to other people. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you, don't do that. Choose love, choose life, be connected, stop doing the quiet game. And it kind of brings us to our last question this morning. And it's probably the question that all of us ask during loss, and it's this, where is God? Where's God? In the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of what I'm going through, where are you, God? Now, let me be frank. I have no easy answer to this question because, in many ways, I don't understand loss. Some of you may think because of pain and suffering that you've experienced that if that exists, then God can't exist. And if David would have stopped Psalm 23 verse 4 with these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I would agree with every single one of you that if suffering and pain exist, then God can exist. But he did not stop there. He continued on and said this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. God is with us. He is with us in the midst of the shadow of death and his rod and his staff will comfort me. You know, out of all of the promises of the Bible, do any of you know what the number one promise there is in scripture? Let me tell you what it's not. It is not the promise of, will you forgive me or I will be forgiven? It's there. If you ask for forgiveness, God will give it to you. I will be forgiven, but that's not the number one promise. It isn't even the promise of life after death, although that promise is there. But the number one promise that there is in all of Scripture is this. I will be with you. God promises more than anything else, no matter what you're going through, that he will be with you. And David realized this, and he said, the good shepherd is always with me, just as a good shepherd is with his sheep. And he is with us in the midst of our loss. And even though we may not see it, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Now, many times when we think of a rod or we think of a staff, We think of something that's going to beat someone down, to punish someone. But a good shepherd never punishes his sheep. Actually, this whole concept of a rod was a short, heavy club-like device that wasn't even used on the sheep, but it was actually used to rain down blows on enemies or other attacking beasts. So a shepherd would have that just to keep the enemies away. And then the staff that was used with a hook on the end was used by the shepherd as a form to walk. And then it was used to guide the sheep into the safest path possible. 
You see, folks, the two items that were given, the rod and the staff, for many people, they think it's for punishment or to keep the sheep in line. It's not. The rod is to protect them from enemies, and the staff is to guide them into the right direction. Because the shepherd always stays with his sheep. He never walks away. And yet it's true, folks. Bad things happen to good people all the time. And it's difficult for us to understand that. And we need to be very clear about God's heart in this matter. Because sometimes people misunderstand. And what they think is that God is a cruel God. That he is a punishing God. That he looks down and he says, oh, a tornado, I'm going to land it there and a flood there and I'll cause this accident and I'll cause this cancer. No, 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 no. The Bible does not speak about death as a tool of God. The Bible speaks about death as the enemy of God. God is always eternally opposed to death. It was never a part of his original plan. It is unnatural. Death is evil. So where is God? The Bible says that God is with those who suffer. And that's the message of the cross. You see, the message of the cross is not simply that your sin and your guilt is taken away, but he actually says on the cross, I will be with you in the midst of your suffering. I will be with you in the midst of your pain. And maybe no writing that I know of outside of the Bible that really talks about this concept of loss and where is God in the midst of your loss is found than in one of my favorite poems of all time, and it's the poem called called Footprints. And it says this, One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed that there were two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and one belonging to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand and he noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that this happened at the very lowest and saddest moments in his life. This really bothered him and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, why would you leave me? And the Lord said, my son, my daughter, my precious child, I love you. I will never leave you. During those times of suffering and of trial, when you see only one set of footprints, those are the times that I carried you. You see, folks, God doesn't He doesn't walk away when we're going through loss. He walks with us when we're going through loss. And in the valley of loss, when we feel like we just can't go on any 
more, those are the times that he carries us. Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, take courage and put your trust in me. For I am more powerful than the world and than death itself. I have conquered the world. So we're going to close a little differently today than what we normally do. The band's going to lead us in a powerful song of how no matter what the losses you're experiencing, that his faithfulness is present and with you. He is faithful. He walks with you. You can cling to him because no matter what the loss is, he is with you and he is for you. He's a good, good shepherd. And after we're done singing here in just a moment, I'm going to have a very short prayer, shorter than normal, and then you'll be dismissed to go. But if some of you are going through a loss right now, and you need prayer for something, the prayer team will be up here and up in the balcony. And I'm going to invite them when we turn off the lights to come up right then. And if you need prayer for anything, they would love to do that. But then I'll just give a short announcement. For those of you on the stream, someone will come on. But if you need prayer for anything on the stream, just let your host know. They'll do that. If you're going through a loss here today, they'll do that as well. So right now I'm going to invite everyone to uh, stand as we close in this song. And if you'd like prayer for anything at the end of this, you can just come on up here in the front or up in the balcony and prayer team. If you can go there now, that'd be great. So let's go ahead and let's sing. Say sometimes you win some, and sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing that. While I stood on this stage, time after time, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now, right now, I just can't. It's easy to seem there's nothing to bring me down. Oh, what will I say? I'm held to the flame like I am.
Some of your uh, children today are uh, going through some tough loss, God. They're in a valley. They've lost a loved one. They've lost a job. They've lost a relationship. And Jesus, I ask right now that you would come and you would carry their hurts and that they would be reminded, God, that they can always cling to you. Lord, heal the hurts and the loss this week. And in the midst of all of it, God, remind them that you are always with them. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.